Well, welcome to the Sanctuary First podcast of the week following Christmas. And as I've been continuing to look through the back catalogue and the archive for material that from a past time talking about Christmas and post-Christmas, I came across this great wee story written by Ian Jimison and uh, recorded by Ali Shuttleworth. And it's about John in the Hill. And it's John as an older man reflecting on his life and the life he had with Jesus. Worth listening to, 17 minutes of podcast this time, but one that's worth listening to. I hope you enjoy John in the Hill. Hail to you, brother. I just sitting, just thinking. Oh, what's that you say? An old man like me up here. Oh, but I love it up here. I mean, look at the stars. Like diamonds glittering in the blackest velvet. They go on forever, you know. Well, brother, I, I just come here to think. Sometimes to dream. Be on my own. Think about them for a while. Who? Oh, you couldn't know, could you, brother? I'm the last of them. Last of a gang. Last of the ones that walked with him while he was here. Oh, I miss them, brother. I miss them so much. Sometimes sometimes when I'm grinding my way up here, I, I fancy I can hear their shoes crunching through the dirt and the dust. Peter grumbling about something, James telling one of his stupid jokes, and and Thomas, well, uh, all gone now. They're all back together now. Left me here to think a while, didn't they? But they haunt me, brother. I hear their voices in the night, their laughter the crackle of the campfire, even the sounds of the crowds that accompanied nearly all of their passings. Then it'll happen. I'll hear his voice, clean and clear, like he was right next to me, lips close to my ear, his arm round my shoulder, pulling me close to him. I can still feel it, brother, that casual, loving, brotherly hug. Jesus. Jesus from Nazareth. Jesus of the ready smile. Jesus who would take your hand, put his arms round you when he needed it most. I loved that about him. Yeah. I miss him most of all. Well, we still speak, of course, but it's no that. It's you know that thing, brother, you'll you'll be walking with your best friend and you'll turn round. They'll be hiking with you, maybe chatting away to someone else, and they'll say something, something just really typical of them, and you'll you'll just look over and just love them for nothing more than being themselves. It's strange. He's with me even now. But I miss those wee human things. I'm an old man. Indulge me. I, I know he's the king of the universe, lord of all creation, the very son of God, but... He was my friend, and I loved him so much, so much. 
the story. Oh, I could tell you some tales. Heck, yes, my friends and I. Come closer. Pass me the wineskin. Sit by the fire a while. Let me tell you about his birth. The birth of my friend Jesus. The, the biggest birth of them all. Let me tell you about how the Son of Man was born into a broken world. Now, the, the, the first thing you need to realize is that all of this happened before I first met him. I've spoken to some of those that were there, some of those who weren't, but I think Joseph, his, well, I suppose you could call him his dad. Joseph, he tells it best. I spent quite a few nights by the fire with that old guy, gone maybe, oh, I don't know, 50 years now. But he's sitting up there with his boy, always his boy with Joseph, even though he knew who his real father was long before his son even drew his first breath. Anyway, they say you should never outlive your children. <laughs> Poor Joseph. Poor Joseph. All that running and protecting and supporting for it to end as it did. Heartbreaking. Oh, but he wouldn't be pitied. No way. He would tell you he was buried in blessings and drowning in a sea of love. At first, he used to say, at first he thought his mind would explode with the, just the enormity of it. He'd loved Mary from the first. That young woman was a fine example of her kind. She moved like silken skin with none of that, you know, self-conscious arrogance of beautiful women. She was just one with the ground she stepped on. Everything seemed to flow through and around her. She walked by, you held your breath. You didn't even realise you were doing it until she passed. I tell you, brother, even when she was an old, old woman. She never lost that grace. I, I, I think all of us must have loved her, been in love with her at some point. I've been married before, and I, I loved my wives until I thought my heart would burst, but Mary, Mary was something completely different. She, she only had eyes for Joseph, only ever had eyes for Joseph. Of course, her son, Son was our very soul. And you would see them. Mary, Joseph, after the fuss had died away, years later in the aftermath, you would see them standing together, working beside each other in the new kingdom, and they would pause. Their hands would reach out, find each other unconscious and beautiful. I remember thinking, if I could be loved like that, but a love like that costs, I think, and it cost them from the very start. <laughs> they met an angel. <laughs> I can see you thinking, what? When does that happen? But they did. They met an angel, and that angel says to these young people, God has chosen you. <laughs> I tell you, brother, that's easy for me to repeat, maybe easy for me to say, but it wasn't easy for them to hear. <laughs> it's like... I know you've got plans together, but here's the news. God's got bigger ones, and you'd better waken up and start taking notes. Mary, says the angel, is going to fall pregnant. But Joseph, it's no going to be yours. It's going to be from God himself. And here's the rub. It's no ordinary child. It's going to be the most important child in all creation. Joseph's thinking, wait a minute, this is the love of my life you're talking about here. This is my girl. 
I'm not sure I want all this. But God says, Joseph, my man, that's just fear talking. I'll give you strength. So Joseph just shuts up and decides right there and then to open up his heart to God. Just a crack. And he told me years later that he just knew right then, sure as I'm sitting here. He had a flash of how it would all go down, and he said he just felt at peace with it all, like he, he would live with the scandal and the danger, love his wee Mary and fight like a lion for his surrogate son. Just like that. All, all the fear blown away, all the doubt evaporated. I think about what I would have done, what I would have thought, and I tell you, brother, that Joseph, that Joseph, he was a big, big man. Anyway, Mary and Joseph getting ready for the big day, nervous and cranky and busy as all get out, they get a summons from Caesar Augustus. And it tells them, get yourself to Bethlehem, which was days and days away, and get yourself registered on the census. <laughs> what were they going to do? Not exactly the best time to be travelling with Mary just about to give birth, but... You refuse an order like that from a Caesar and angels or no angels, someone's going to come looking for you. And they're not going to be bringing you presents. So, Joseph gets it together and he and very pregnant wife head off into the sunset for Bethlehem. In the middle of nowhere. In the middle of winter. He says to me, a couple of nights in, Mary's feeling sick. She's getting contractions all the time, and Joseph is getting a bit worried that he's going to have to play midwife in the middle of some cold desert in the middle of the night. So he gets down on his knees before God the Father, and he says, Look, I need some help here. I need to get to Bethlehem yesterday and get somewhere safe to deliver this baby of ours. So, and here's the thing about God, no, no flashing lights this time. The angel is conspicuously absent, but Joseph looks down and he notices a road in the desert and a stone marker. Bethlehem, 40 miles, just like that. So he turns to Mary and he's about to give her the good news, but there she is, sleeping quietly in the night, not uncomfortable, not feeling sick or in pain, just pregnant and serene, and he's watching her in the moonlight, the rise and fall of her chest, the sound of her breathing, that massive mound of belly, and he feels love for her like he's never known. Love that's so strong it paralyzes him, roots him to the spot. He thought he loved her before, but this, and Joseph, Joseph just knows it's going to be all right. The baby's going to be born. They're going to be all right. So 24 hours later, he's banging on the door of the last lodging house in Bethlehem, having found no room anywhere in a whole day of wandering about. So I says to him, this is years and years later, mind, did you not think maybe your enthusiasm the night before had been misplaced? Nah, Johnny says. The thing with God is that sometimes you just know. I'd been wandering around until I knocked on the right door. I knew it'd be there for us. It was just a question of keeping on trying. But guess what? The guy at the lodging house says, Sorry, mate, 
No way, no room. But our Joseph, he just says, we're meant to be here, my friend. My wife and I are to have a baby in your house tonight. So the guy looks at them kind of funny-like and shouts up to his wife and she shouts back down something like, no women's going to have no baby in no house of mine this or any other night except it's me and that's no very likely, is it, dear? <laughs> the man kind of shrugs at this and it's obvious he's quite smitten with the beautiful Mary. So he says, look, there's a, there's a barn out the back, keep the noise down and the best of luck to you, mate. You know, I always wonder what happened to that man. I think he was changed too, his wife and all. I think they must have crept down amongst all the visitors and seen my friend Jesus lying there, just a baby, but the most important baby of them all. I wonder if they ever did have that baby themselves. So eventually Joseph gets it all sorted. They're, they're out in the barn, but Joseph, handy with his hands until the day he died, he makes it homely and just ready for the newborn. And not a moment too soon. Mary starts making these noises. You know these noises women start to make when they're about to begin labour in earnest. No? No? Well, let me tell you, son, in my long experience, there's nothing quite like it. I mean, they're just not kidding around. You'd better get your thinking straight if you're the only one there because you've just been given a job to do and you'd better roll up your sleeves because here it comes and it's not waiting for any ifs, buts or maybes. <laughs> That'll put hairs in your chest, boy. Anyway, he's bent over her and making reassuring noises and just about as excited as a man could be with the prospect of his whole life changing in the next few minutes when he sees a kind of light poking in between the boards of the walls of the barn. So he makes sure Mary is comfortable, and he takes a look outside. He said it, it seemed to be from the skies, somewhere above him anyway. And he's thinking, well, that's all right, the angel's back. <laughs> he felt kind of relieved. Maybe the angels would step in and he could concentrate on Mary, you know, be there for her. Five minutes, though, and he, he just knows that the angel is a no-show. But somewhere far off, he thinks he can hear singing the most wonderful singing he'd ever heard, and just that tiny sound over the breeze was enough to calm him down and get him back inside. He said to me that he, he figured the angels was elsewhere, maybe with his pals, maybe singing about how great things were going to be. So, the baby is born, and Joseph is in tears. Mary's in tears, but feeding the wane, and they, oh, they're just the happiest little family in the world. Joseph says to me that at that moment it was the best of his life. And Mary, well, let's just say that when he died, I believe her face and the face of that child were the last things he ever saw. He was some man, Joseph. Dear, you must be cold. Come closer, brother, come closer. They got visitors that first night, Joseph and his Mary and the baby Jesus. Kings from the east bearing the most incredible and expensive gifts. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. More money than they'd ever seen in their lives or ever did again. And Joseph, he says, looking back, it just seemed it was the right thing to do. Why wouldn't kings travel for months to see my beautiful son? 
I think every father feels a bit like that. But most of us, for most of us, it doesn't turn out to be true. Of course, Joseph knew who he really was, but I still think he was proud and excited just to be near that baby, just to be part of it. Shepherds, young men, rough and ready, about Joseph's age, they come in all humble and babbling about angels, and Joseph's thinking, I know what you mean, lads. They just worship him, want to touch him, want to be close to Mary. He said to me, I was so proud of her, her first labour, the birth of the most important child that ever was, and she was so calm and serene, it was like a understood a little bit, but she, she got it. She really got it. No one who visited that night left the same as they arrived. He was a tiny baby, and even when he started changing the world, pouring out waterfalls of blessing and love, just with a baby's cry. You know what he's like, John. You know how he is. Well, there's a tale for you, lad. Choose I'm sitting there. Yeah, where, where, where did you say you were from? Bethlehem. Ah, and your father used to keep an inn. You'd never. Ah, God, my father always surprised with you, isn't it? Even now, <laughs> even after all that's happened. Well, I tell you, good night to your brother. Be blessed. On you go. <laughs> On you go, and... Find the Lord Jesus for yourself.